Let me ask you a question. Are you doing your job? Are you doing your job as a Christian? Here's what the Bible says in Romans 5.17. It tells us that we are to reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So my question is, are we reigning in life or is life reigning over us? Are you reigning in life? The Bible tells us in Psalm 115 verse 16 that God created us to rule the earth as he rules the heaven. God left man in charge of the earth. Now the problem man had was that sin entered in and man gave over authority and dominion to Satan, yet man was created to have dominion on the earth. And then we find in the New Testament that by Jesus Christ we have been redeemed. We have been bought back, put back into the place of rulership. The curse is canceled. The blessing is released. The Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could have the blessing of Abraham. Remember what the blessing of Abraham was? The blessing of Abraham was that he was the heir of the world. In other words, he was the boss. Okay, God intends for us to rule the earth. Most Christians don't know that and are ruled by the devil. The devil rules their money. The devil rules their bodies. He rules their emotions. He rules their spirits because they don't understand that God created them to be in charge. Amen. We cannot allow the devil. See, there are two systems. There's the system of the world, and there's the system of God's kingdom. And we can either choose one or the other. Now, there's a certain amount of success in the system of the world, but there's a system of God's kingdom where there is no sorrow added with it. Okay, we can choose which one we want to be in. The problem is, is that God's word has not been relevant to many Christians. Many Christians think that the Bible is a Sunday-only thing. Many Christians think that it's up to the preacher to know the Bible and that we don't have to know anything about it because if there's something we ought to know, he will tell us. That is a dangerous place to be, okay, especially if you know some of the preachers that I know. It's a dangerous place to be. If all you know is what the preacher tells you on Sunday in, 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 in 30, well, in our case, 50 minutes, if all you know is what you hear 50 minutes a week, uh, that's a dangerous place to be. The Word of God must become relevant. The Word must be fresh in our hearts. The problem we have is many people are living on stale Word. The Word of God is like manna. Remember the children of Israel? They got the manna and they could gather only enough for today. If they got enough for two days, it rotted and worms came out of it. And so what happens is, is, that, is, that, is that people get the Word of God and they think that because I learned this scripture three years ago that that's all I need to have. The truth is it needs to be fresh every single day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I make my living. I live by the word of God. My day-to-day -day experience is based upon what do I do with God's word. What happens is people begin to treat that which is holy as very profane. We're thinking, well, it's just the Bible. I mean, you know, I've heard that scripture a hundred times before. You know what? Sometimes I like to watch the Andy Griffith show. And sometimes I like it when Gomer is on there and he says, golly. And, you know, I laugh every time he says it. Even though I've heard it before and I know it's coming, every time I watch it again, it's fresh. <laughs> the Word of God needs to be fresh in our heart. It needs to be fresh in us. If we just continually put it in our mind, put it in our mouth, put it in our heart, it needs to be fresh. 
A Sunday school teacher one time asked her little children as they're on the way to the church service, she says, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And one little girl replied, because people are sleeping in there. <laughs> we don't need to be people who don't have the Word of God relevant in our hearts. We need, you know, sometimes you go to church and the Word, and I understand it's not well presented sometimes. Sometimes as preachers, we, we just don't do a good job of it. But sometimes it's presented as a philosophy or as a religion. The Word of God is not a religion. It's a way of life. It is the answer to life. It is the key to the power of God. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God to my deliverance, to my rescue, to my healing, to whatever I need. It is taking the word and putting it in my lives. Sometimes, sometimes the problem with, with going to church is the preacher doesn't believe what he's saying. I mean, I've gone to church where there, there, there are preachers, and you can tell the word doesn't mean anything to them. That it does, it's, it's, it's not important to them, and as a result, it's not important to the people that go to that church. Sometimes people sleep in church because they have physical problems, but most of the time people sleep in church because they're bored. Isn't that right? I mean, they just get bored. I mean, the Word doesn't mean anything. I mean, Lord, I've heard that before. We need to understand it's the Word that's alive in us that's going to produce in us. It's the Word that we know, that we know, we know, deep in our hearts, that's going to bring the freedom and the liberty that I need in my life. You see, we need to get a, get a revelation of how important the Word is. Many people fail to see the Bible is relevant. Many people fail to get an accurate understanding of what the Bible really says. It's kind of like the little boy, the Sunday school teacher says, okay, everybody draw a picture of something they like about church. So she collects all the pictures, and she's looking at this one, and this one kid drew a picture of this hairy creature, and he was cross-eyed. And she said, she said, Billy... This is what you like about church? And she says, yeah. He says, yeah, yeah. I like that because that's my favorite song. She said, your favorite song? You know, Gladly, the cross-eyed bear. <laughs> Gladly, <laughs> comma, the cross, C-R-O-S-S, I would bear. Just so you can get that joke. But see, people, they don't have an accurate understanding of what the Bible says. Do not let the devil fool you. Do not let him embarrass you. You see, the Bible says that ignorance of the word will bring destruction and it will bring, bring you into captivity. When you know what the Bible says, the devil cannot do things to you that he could do before. When he comes to you with certain things, you say, oh, no, no, the, the, the Bible says I don't have to have that. Or the Bible says I can have that. If you know what the Bible says, there's the, the, the devil can do less. And now he has to try to attack you based on the word, and he's not very good at that. They'll come and lie to you, but you've got to take the word. People, I mean, people don't even get it accurately. You know, you, I have been to funerals, and I've heard preachers say stuff like this. Well, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Now, have you ever read that verse of Scripture before? If you've ever read it, I want you to think about who said it. It was spoken by Job in a time when he was being stupid. Because if you read the book of Job, you're going to find out the Lord didn't take anything from Job. This guy, his name was Satan. Lucifer came and he's the one who took stuff from Job. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where God gives and God takes away. He's not a taker. He's a giver. He gives blessing. Now, the only thing he takes away is your sin. He takes away the curse. But God gives to us. God is not going to kill somebody because he needs another flower in his garden. That is a bunch of bull, folks. 
We need to get that out of our hearts, out of our minds. We need to understand that God's word is true. Find out what does the Bible say and accurately get that. I heard a, I heard a story about about two lawyers who were in court, and, and so one, one, one lawyer was, was talking about his client, and he said this. He said, we have it on the highest authority that it has been said, all that a man has will, be, will he give for his skin. I'm trying to quote the Bible. Okay, the other lawyer knew the Bible a little bit better, and he said, I, he said, I'm impressed by the fact that my distinguished colleague here regards as the highest authority, the one who said, all that a man has, he will give for his skin. He said, you'll find that saying come from the book of Job, and the one who utters it is the devil. He said, and so my colleague regards the devil as the highest authority. You need to know what it says. What does the Bible say? And the thought is, well, but pastor, I haven't been to seminary. I don't know what the Bible says. Start today finding out what does it say. You'll be amazed at how things will begin to come together in your heart as the Holy Spirit reveals them to us. Just like I was saying in the offering that the Lord takes pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Then I quoted another scripture that says the angels do His pleasure. And then I quoted another scripture that says the Lord said I will do all my pleasure. You got Things begin to come together and all of a sudden you have a revelation of what the Bible is about and how it can affect and make your life what it ought to be. Do not allow anything to be the highest authority except the Word of God. Find out what it says. Find out how to read and how to study the Bible. So let's turn with, with me this morning to Matthew chapter 8. I want to look at some verses here, and I want us to look at something this morning that I think will really bless your heart. I finished my last series, so we'll see what happens with this message today. Actually, I didn't finish the series because I, late in the week, man, I, the Lord showed me something else about that, so I'll, we'll get that to another, in another sermon, but it won't be part of that series. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8. Let's look in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8. The Bible says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Then in verse 13, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Now Jesus has been on a preaching and teaching tour. He's been telling people to repent and believe the gospel. He's gone everywhere telling them the basics of this Christian life. Repent and believe. Turn away from the way of the world. Turn to God. Repent. The word repent means to have a change of mind and attitude towards sin and its cause. To believe means to sell out to something different. The word repent basically means you're going in one direction and you turn and go in a completely different direction. All right? That's been the gospel that Jesus is preaching. He's going out and saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. One translation says it this way. Jesus was saying, repent and believe the good news because an invasion from the Spirit is imminent to those who will reach out and grasp it. Okay, God's kingdom is available when we reach out and grasp it. And Jesus has been going, preaching that to everyone, saying this kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching that. And he's just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which, of course, is probably the most famous sermon of all times. In fact, it's the one place in your Bible for several pages in a row. It's all read because it's all Jesus. All right, he just preached the Sermon on the Mount. And now he's coming here back 
into the town where his ministry is headquartered into the city of Capernaum. Remember, Jesus was raised in Nazareth. All right, he, then he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, and that's where his ministry headquarters is located until the end when he goes to Jerusalem. But here he comes back to where his ministry is located. When he gets back to, his, to this town, a centurion approaches him in the midst of a throng of people. People are all around Jesus as he comes to his hometown. They're all there. This, this, this centurion comes to him. Now, a centurion is the captain of a hundred people. He's a Roman military man. In order to become a centurion, a guy had to have, have excellent character. He had to have excellent leadership. It wasn't just the fact that he could fight. It just he was a good leader. And so this centurion is a good leader, but he's a Roman leader, not a Jewish leader. He doesn't know about the covenant of God necessarily, but he knows something because he knows that Jesus can do something. Right? He has an understanding because he's heard some things about this Jesus of Nazareth. In the story, we saw that Jesus marveled at the man's faith marveled at his faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to marvel at my faith. I want Jesus, I want him, if he's going to be impressed with me, I want him to be impressed with my faith because I understand he can't be impressed with my righteousness because mine doesn't count. It's his that I have now, and now my righteousness is his righteousness, and I am the righteousness of God in Christ. He's not going to be impressed with my deeds because he knows he could do it better. I want him to be impressed. I want him to marvel at my faith. The passage we just read contains some powerful truths that bring us to the place of marvelous faith. And that's what I want. I want Jesus to, 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 be, to marvel at my faith. Now, first of all, this is my message, but I want you to notice something here. The centurion doesn't come to Jesus asking for something for himself. He's asking for something for someone else. Basically, it's a picture, a great picture of intercession where he comes and he is praying to Jesus for somebody else. Remember our sermon a couple of weeks ago about how you got to get you off your mind? Well, that, that's, a, that's a pretty valid point here. We need to learn how not to make all of Christianity be about me and my stuff, but I want to be able to seek God and for, for other people to be benefited. My life here on this earth is not just for me, just so I can stand before God one day and Him to say, wow, you did a good job for yourself. My job is to be on this earth so that I can be a blessing to people as I'm a blessing to God. Remember the Bible says that faith works by love, and as we learn how to love people, learn how to give ourselves away to people, the blessing now can come to us and through us, and it continues to flow that way. And so we have to always learn how to do that. That's not my message, but I thought I'd throw that in. First of all, I want us to look at this guy. This centurion was a man who had a legitimate want in his life. His servant was sick. He says, he lieth at home. And that's an interesting way to put it. He lieth at home. And we're thinking in the English language that he's just laying down at home. The word lieth, however, in the Greek doesn't mean to lay, but it means to throw. The word is balo in the Greek language, which means to throw in a violent manner. It means to throw or let go of a thing and not care where it falls. So what he's saying is, my servant has been thrown down with sickness. He, we'll talk more about that sickness here in a minute. But he's been thrown down, and that's just like the devil. The devil will throw you around, and he doesn't care where you land. He doesn't care where it hurts. He doesn't care how it hurts. The devil wants to do whatever he can do. Now, first of all, we've got to understand it, that this guy is not sick because God made him sick. It's a work of the devil. Let me explain that to you a little further. Jesus will never heal someone that God made sick. Why would Jesus directly violate the will of God? If God makes you sick, now listen to me, if God makes you sick, 
and you pray that Jesus will heal you, you're in sin. Because if God made you sick, Jesus is not going to heal you. Let me just say this even further. If you're sick and God made you sick and you go to the doctor, you're in sin. Because you're trying to get out of the will of God if he made you sick. Somebody just say amen because that makes sense, doesn't it? The devil, the Bible says, is the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. I've never enjoyed a day of being sick. When you're throwing up, that's not enjoying life. Amen. It just makes sense, right? And we have allowed religion to tell us all kinds of things. The Bible says every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. God gives you good stuff. Making you sick is not a good stuff. Yeah, but I learned so much when I was sick. Yeah, you can learn something, but you know what? You don't have to be sick to learn it. Would you? Let me just ask you this. I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but why would you, if you, if, with your child, I want my child to learn how to be kind. So I'm going to break their arm so that they cannot go out and be mean to people. <laughs> All right, now you're going to be nice now. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Do you think our Heavenly Father, well, I'm going to teach them how to be kind. Okay, semi-truck, hit them in the side. Let them have it. There you go. I'll teach you some things. You know what you're going to learn? You're going to learn how to hurt. God is not that kind of father. Jesus will never heal somebody that God made sick. So if Jesus is coming to, if, if, if this guy wants Jesus to heal his servant, he's got to, we've got to understand that God didn't make him sick. Amen. That's pretty good theology right there, if I'd say so myself. He tells him that his servant is sick of the palsy. That literally means he's a paralytic. He says he's grievously tormented. The word grievously means terribly or excessively. The word tormented means tortured. Does that sound like God to you? No, that's the devil. The devil is the one who torments you. The devil is the terrorist. He's not, it's not God that terrorizes people. It's the devil. God brings comfort. God brings goodness. The devil has come to this man and has made him very sick. He says he, says he, he is tormented. The word tormented it means, literally means to test. It's talking about testing of metals. There's a thing called a touchstone that you can scrape on something that, that, that's, that you might think is gold or silver. And when you scrape it, it makes a mark. And the color of the mark will, determine, will let you determine what, what the metal is. If it's 10 karat gold, if it's 14 karat or 22 karat or 24 karat, that the color of the mark will determine that, or whether it's sterling silver or not. And this has reference to that touchstone. It's talking about the devil will come, he will test you to see what kind of Christian you are. When you say, Lord, I give you my whole heart, the next thing that's going to happen to you is the devil's going to come and say, let's see what kind you are. There are different kinds of Christians, you know. There's the kind of Christian that's a real Christian, that's a Christian all the time. That'd be like 24 karat gold. That's all gold through and through. There's, there are Christians that are just really Christians. But then there are Christians that are not great Christians. I mean, they're just Christians on Sundays, which means they're about 10, 8 karat gold. They're not a whole lot Christian, just enough that they could get to heaven maybe, but they don't have all the blessings of God. In fact, I find that many Christians have enough of God to bug them and not enough to bless them. The devil's going to come and find out which one you are. Do you really believe the promise? 
Do you really believe what God said? Okay, God, I believe you. Here's my tithe. And the next thing, the devil comes and says, let's see how you believe that. And then, and then he finds out what you really believe. Darn, I wish I wouldn't have given that tithe. Because then I'd have enough money to go to the basketball game. What kind of Christian are you? The devil wants to come and test you. He wants to torment you. That's what he wants to do. The Amplified says that, he, that the servant was distressed and in intense pain. The New American Standard said he was suffering great pain. The Living Bible says he was racked with pain. This man's servant was at home. He's in terrible pain. He's paralyzed and he's in terrible pain in his body. The centurion took action. And these are some things that all of us need to do if we need a miracle. Number one, he came to Jesus. That's pretty smart. He came to where Jesus was. You cannot receive a miracle from God if you don't go where God is. God is not any place else but in His Word, and, and we've got to come to Him and believe what He has said. He came and He besought Jesus. That means to call near, to invite. Jesus will never go any place He hasn't been invited. He's not going to come and, and take care of a situation He's not invited into. Well, why wouldn't God do something? Well, maybe He wasn't invited. Why our schools are so bad? Things are going so wrong in our schools. Well, why don't we invite Jesus back in? Let's invite God back into the situation. He won't come where he's not invited. He came. In other words, he, the man came and he prayed. He sought Jesus. He came to him. He sought him. He prayed. Prayer is not, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Prayer is coming to God with a real request, coming in real time asking God to do what he said he would do. The man came, he besought, and he said, I love this, he said, Lord. He called Jesus Lord. The most important step in getting anything from God, no matter what's going on in your life, is to make Jesus Lord. Not just Jesus the good idea, not just Jesus, the one who takes me to heaven, but Jesus, the Lord. The word Lord means controller. That means whatever he says is what I do. I make Jesus my Lord. Jesus, I come. He says, Lord, my servant is sick. He calls him Lord. Many people stay in lack or stay in pain, stay wherever they are because they don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. They just want him to be the comforter of their lives. Amen. We did not get saved so that Jesus would comfort us. We got saved because he forgave us of our sin, and he's the only way we get to go to heaven, and so we get saved. And now, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. He makes Jesus the Lord. All right, and then he made his request known. He was very specific. He didn't just come and fall at Jesus' feet and say, you know. He specifically made a request. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, and then the Bible says... In Mark 11, 20, Jesus said, He shall have whatsoever he saith. We need to learn how to pray specifically, not those little prayers that say, If it be thy will. Find out what the will of God is. Get in the Bible. Find out the will. Now, I'm getting into the message here. This is what I love. The guy comes. He says, My servant is grievously tormented. He's sick of the palsy. I love this. And Jesus said to him, I will. Do you wonder what the will of God is sometimes? Do you wonder what the will of God is regarding sickness and disease? Look what Jesus said. The man came and said, My servant is sick. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, in the first four verses of this chapter, a leper comes to Jesus. And the leper comes and he said, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper was basically saying, I know you have the ability. My question is, what is your will regarding my sickness? Do you remember what Jesus' answer was? I will be thou clean. When you read the Bible, you will always see that it is the will of God to heal the sick. 
It is always the will of God to bless his covenant people. You cannot find any place in the scripture where God's covenant people came to him and they were worshiping him, they were doing, they were, they were doing the word, they're operating in, in accordance with the covenant they have with God and that God curses them. You can't find that anywhere. It is the will of God to bring blessing into people's lives. God is good, the Bible says. God is not the giver of all the malicious, nasty stuff. Jesus, the Bible says that, that he went, that the anointing of God was upon him. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That is who he is. He is one who does good. Amen? We need to understand that when the things happen in life that aren't according to the word, that's not Jesus doing that. God's will is good. If you understand the will of God, you can exercise faith in the will of God. Many people can't have faith in whether God will heal them or not because they've been told that this may not be one of those things God will heal. Or they've been told, maybe, maybe it's not God's will to set you free from that thing. No, God's will is liberty in our lives. God's will is healing. God's will is always goodness. The devil is the one who comes to destroy us. It is the will of God to bless you. If you don't have faith in the fact that God's will is to bless you, you can't have faith in him blessing you. If you think that he might want you to die of, of, of a car wreck, then you can't have faith for safety on the road. Right? Lord, we're taking this trip. Now, if it be your will to kill us on this trip, then let it be so. However, Lord, we pray that you would protect us. But he's not listening to that prayer. That's a bunch of baloney. Why would you even think that? Oh, Lord, if it be thy will, protect my children while they're at school today. Oh, Lord, but if it's your will for a terrorist to come and kill all those little children, oh, just thy will be done. Shut up. That is the way... Ignorant people would pray, Lord, here's your will. You said in your word that it was your will for me to prosper. You said in your word that it's your will for me to be in health. You said in your word it's your will for me to live in your protection because I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. You said in your word, when I said that, you hide me under the shadow of your wings. That's his will. And yet we've allowed ourselves to think the will of God is a bunch of religious junk that has been tried to be poured out on us. Jesus said, I will come and heal. If, it, if we will invite Jesus, he will come. He will do exactly what he says. He'll come into your heart. He'll come into your marriage. He'll come into your workplace. He'll come into your bank account. He'll come wherever you will invite him and let him to come and be Lord. Wherever you want him to be, he said, it is my will. I will come and I will heal. He said, I will come and heal. The word heal here literally means to wait upon menially, menially to relieve of pain or cure a disease. It's Jesus' will to relieve you of the curse of Satan. Amen. That is his will. If you know that's his will, now you can pray the right way. God, thank you that it's your will to set me free from this bondage. Thank you that it's your will, Lord God, that this relationship be what it's supposed to be. Thank you that it's your will, God, for me to, to prosper and succeed in this effort that I'm doing. Thank you that that's your will. Now, that's, that's just good stuff right there. I mean, God's will is to do those types of things. His will is to relieve you. People often misunderstand the will of God. He's not the problem causer. He's the answer to the problem. 
God isn't going to give you all that bad stuff. He can only come and heal when we invite him. Now, I love this, and I'm going to get onto this for just a few minutes. The centurion says, he says, he says, Oh, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. I'm not worthy, Lord. Have you ever heard anybody pray like that? Oh, God, we're not worthy. One time, I was getting ready to preach a funeral with this guy, and we were together, and we were, I don't know how he was in the family, but we were there, and we were getting ready. He said, well, let's pray before we go out. I said, okay. So he said, oh, Lord, we're not worthy of your goodness. Oh, we are sinners, and God, we're not worthy to stand before your presence. Oh, Lord, in our filthiness, we pray you will, and I, I want to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saved? I mean, either you're, you're a saint or you're a sinner. Either you've been redeemed or you haven't been. And if you've been redeemed, why would you be saying, I'm not worthy? I mean, let me explain something to you. And this really gets to me. The word worthy here means competent, sufficient, or enough. Notice first thing. Jesus did not agree with the guy. Lord, I'm not worthy. You should come under my roof. Notice Jesus didn't say, I know it. I know it. You're just a slime ball, but you know what? It's your lucky day. I mean, why? I love Jesus. I'm not thinking Jesus is going. Let's go. Just shut that up. Let's go heal the guy. He said, oh, I'm just not worthy. Oh, if he wasn't worthy, Jesus would not have offered to go. Right? Oh, Lord, I'm not worthy. You're right, so we can't go. Sorry, you're not worthy. I, I can only go to people who are worthy. Excuse me. He couldn't go to anyone if that was the case, if, 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 if it was all based on, on our stuff. Jesus is worthy, but because he is worthy, now you have been made worthy. Get, could you catch that? L li listen to this. You've you got to get this. To be prideful is to disagree with the word of God. Is that correct? The most arrogant person in the world would be the person who says the Bible is not true and what I think is true. To be humble is to decide that whatever the Bible says, that's what I agree with. Whether or not I've experienced it, whether or not I understand it, I simply agree with the Bible, not based on, on me, but based on what God has said. So if I'm going to be truly humble, then I'm going to have to believe what it says. Here's what the Bible says. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things as silver and gold, but from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. The Bible says that God redeemed you with the blood of Jesus. The word redeemed means to buy back. It means to make a purchase, to go to market. The Bible says that God went to the market of eternity and he bought you with the precious blood of of Jesus. He bought you with the precious blood of Jesus. The word precious means costly. It means valuable. The blood of Jesus is different than the blood of any man ever born because God is his father. We understand that the blood type of a human being is determined by the father, not the mother. The father determines the blood type. Jesus' father 
is, is the one who determined his blood type. I don't think it was O positive. I think it was G positive because it was straight from God. His blood, the most valuable commodity in the universe, was shed so that you could be bought back from the devil, from the curse, into God's blessing, into the kingdom of his dear light. If you are worthless, why would God spend the most valuable commodity in the world to get you back? Why would God care anything about you if you weren't worth anything? The truth is, man is the most important thing he ever made. And when Jesus shed his blood, he paid the highest price possible to get you back because you were worth it. Amen. Don't you ever let the devil come and tell you you're not worth it. When the devil comes and tells you you're no good, you're, God is not, God's through with you, you just tell him to shut up because the Bible says you've been bought back with the blood of Jesus. Amen. God would not spend the blood if you weren't worth it. Don't you ever stand before God and say, oh, I'm just so unworthy. No, the Bible says that God took the sinless Christ. He poured into him my sin and exchange, poured into me his righteousness. Now the righteousness that I have is the righteousness of God in Christ. That's not worthless. That's worth something. That's valuable. God is not a God who would foolishly go out and make a transaction and buy something that was worth nothing. The devil is a liar. You are not worthless. Don't you dare come in this church and pray, Oh, we're just so unworthy. That gets all over me every time I hear it. That doesn't agree with the Bible. It doesn't agree with what God said. The Bible says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It doesn't say we're going to be. It says we are sons of God right now. Right now we're the sons of God. The Bible says that God predestined us the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God wanted you to be his child. You're his child now. The Bible says if we are sons, then we are heirs. If we're heirs, then we're joint heirs with Jesus. The Bible declares we're the children of Almighty God. How could we be worthless? It can't be. It's, oh, Lord, I'm just so unworthless. What family are you in? If one of my kids came to me and said, oh, Dad, I'm just so worthless, I would stop them immediately. I said, what's your last name? My daughters would give me a different name, but I'd say, what, what's your maiden name? <laughs> you're not worthless. You are not worthless. Don't you tell me you're worthless. You may have made a mistake. You may have caused a mess, but you are not worthless. You're God's child. If you are born again this morning, you are God's child. Do not let the devil one more time ever tell you that you are worthless. Do not let it happen. Amen, Pastor Andy. Thank you for straightening that out in my mind. God loves you. He cares so much for you that he shed the blood of Jesus for you. You are so valuable to him that the Holy Spirit split heaven apart to get to the earth, to come to you, to take you to the place of victory in your life. God loves you, and he wants you to make it. 
Don't you let the devil lie to you. And then he gives us a powerful secret here in this passage of Scripture. I love it. He, after he gets past his bad theology, this is good. Even you can have bad theology and still get a miracle, just, just so you'll know that. The Bible says you're worthy of heaven. You're worthy of the vocation. You're worthy of the Lord. The centurion makes this powerful statement. He said, you know what? Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Speak the word only. He said, you just say the word. The word only means merely. He says, merely say the word, and my servant will be healed. Speak the word only. The word for word here is the Greek word logos. Now, in the charismatic world, this is a little, little lesson for you. In the charismatic world, there are two words for word. Well, in the Bible, there are two words for word. One is logos, and one is rhema. In the charismatic world, we've, we've said that the logos is, is this big word of God, and the rhema is the word you understand, the little word, the revelation for it. Okay, the word word here, logos, literally means the expression. Jesus is the divine expression of God. And so sometimes I think of it this way. The word logos means the whole Bible. The word rhema means the verses I get. I understand these. Okay, the rhema is the revelation that I have. The logos is the whole thing. It's interesting, this guy comes and he says, you know what, if you'll just speak the logos, I don't even have to get it. If you'll just speak the logos, my servant will be healed. I don't have to have a revelation. If you'll just speak the Bible, my servant will be healed. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to have a revelation for the word to work. It works if you'll just work it. All you've got to do is know the word of God will work. He says, you know what, Jesus? You just speak the word and my servant will be healed. You just say the Bible and my servant will be healed. I don't care if I understand it. I'm just going to have the word of God. There's power in speaking the word of God. One time I heard the Lord say, my people can have whatever they say, but they're saying what they have. Have, have what God said. Do what God were. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And he goes on to talk about that you'll produce whatever's in your heart. It'll come out in manifestation in your life. You'll either have the good treasure or the evil treasure based on what's in your heart, based on what comes out of your mouth. If you'll speak the word only, if you'll just learn how to speak the word of God, the miracles can take place in your life. Amen. Instead of confessing all that junk that the devil is telling you, why would you speak up for him? Why would you worship him with words that don't acknowledge God? The Lord said, he said, your words have been stout against me. The Lord, the Lord told him, he said, he said you know what? Your, your words have been destroying you all these years. Speak the word, he said. The, this centurion had hold of something that was very, very powerful. He said, you know what? All it will take is your word. And if you'll say your word, my servant will be healed. All you've got to do is speak the word only. The only way you're going to speak the word only is to put the word in your mind. Put it in your heart. Allow the word to be in you and in you and in you and in you until it is manifest in your life. You've got to learn how to think like the word. Oh, but Pastor Randy, the Bible says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Have you ever read that whole chapter? Because right after that it says, my word. It's like the rain that comes down from the sky. It will produce what it says. In other words, he's saying, you want, you want to have my thoughts? My word are my thoughts. You want to have my ways? My word is my way. If you'll let it do what it's supposed to do, it will produce in your life exactly what it says it will do. Oh, but Pastor, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Shut all that stuff up. You're right, but you don't have your righteousness anymore. You've got His. You are now the child of God, and you can begin to think like God thinks based on what He said. If you spend your time thinking about the Bible, 
That's what we call meditation. Meditation means to mutter, to utter, to speak over and over. If you'll just begin to talk about the Bible, think about the Bible, look at the Bible, you know, take it, get an index card, write a verse on it, put it in your pocket, four, five, six, seven, twelve, twelve times a day, look at it, find out what it says, and pretty soon, every time something comes up, you'll be thinking about that verse of Scripture. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, that verse of Scripture and you are the same. Because you're learning to think the Word. Then you learn to speak the Word. And the Word begins to be manifest in your life. And here's the point of my sermon. Of my sermon today. Aren't you glad I got there? Oh, man. Verse 9, he said, I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. Another one, come, and he comes. Now, get this. He said, I understand authority. He said, because I understand authority, I say. When you understand authority, you say. A, a commander who has authority doesn't, doesn't express his authority in many ways other than making a decree. He says, attention, and they get to attention. He speaks because he's under authority. He knows that he has the authority of whoever is in charge of the army, and he can say something. The people who gave him authority, he can speak it. He understands that there's authority in the Word. Here's the secret today. There is authority in the Word of God. There is authority in what God said. To understand authority is to understand the necessity of saying what the commander-in-chief has said. Say there's authority in the Word of God. The devil must be told what to do. Do you know that the devil cannot read your mind? Some of y'all look at me in surprise this morning. The devil cannot read your mind. He is a master at reading your actions. He's a master at, at evaluating the way you respond when you hear things or react when you hear things. But he cannot read your mind. He doesn't have the ability to get in there and find out what you're thinking. The Holy Spirit can. The devil cannot. So I cannot think him to go away. I must tell him to go away. The only way I can tell him to go away is with the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority. It has authority. The devil came and tempted Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He thought. No, he said it is written. The devil came, and the devil even came and said, well, it's also written, no, no, no. And Jesus said, huh, let me tell you what it says. If you want victory in this world, you're going to have to understand the word of God is final authority. The only thing the devil understands that defeats him is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is the thing that's going to cut the devil apart. It is the thing that's going to slice the bondages off of your body. The Bible says, let him who has a dream tell a dream, but he who has my Word, let him speak my Word faithfully. For my Word is like a fire. My Word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's like a fire that consumes everything that can't stand the test. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock of most stubborn resistance off of your life. When you speak the Word of God, it has authority to take place in your life. Whatever the circumstance is, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about, about my money? What does the Bible say about my health? What does the Bible say? And I begin to take the word and speak the word because it has authority to do what it's supposed to do. 
The Word has the authority. God's Word has authority. To be under authority is to speak the will of the higher authority. The will of God is His Word. He said, I will hasten my word to perform it. He said, my word will not return void. The Bible says he upholds all things with the word of his power. Do you need your health to be upheld? He upholds it with the word of his power. Do you need, see, in our, in our, in our culture today, the, the, the financial world is in absolute chaos. Do you need to be blessed by God financially? He will uphold it with the word of his power. But with no word, there's nothing to uphold it with. What word is he talking about? He's talking about the word that comes out of the heart through the lips of a believer in what the word says, one who has come under the authority of God. The one thing this Roman centurion didn't get was that he didn't have to have Jesus say it. He could say what Jesus said. The new covenant says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are co-laborers with him. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones now who employ the word. We are the ones who can take the word of God, speak it, and make it do what God wants it to do. We're the ones who can make it be what God wants it to be. There's authority in the Word. Jesus marveled at this guy's faith because he understood there's authority in the Word. But Pastor, I tried it for 10 minutes and it didn't work. It may take longer than 10 minutes. It may take a week, a month, a year. It may take some time, but if you'll continue with the Word, Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have. Desire is something that you're not giving up on. See, if I really desire it, I'm not going to pray for it for 10 minutes and then quit. I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, I'm going to stand with what God said until it's in my hand or until I'm doing it or whatever it is. The Word is the answer. The Word is the final authority. No matter what it says, I must decide I'm going to have the word. Jesus marveled at his... He only marveled at two things that I can find in the scripture. He marveled at this man's faith. When he went back to his hometown, he marveled at their unbelief. <laughs> you want to get his attention? Either believe him or don't. When they didn't believe him, what happened? He couldn't do many miracles there. One that he was limited. They just didn't bring him any sick people because they didn't believe he'd do it. They just didn't bring the people in need because they didn't think he could do it. But when you believe him, and you say, you know what, you, you, just give me your word. All I need is your word. You remember when you were a kid and your dad would say, okay, we're going to go get ice cream. Either, one or two things happened. Either because he always kept his word, you got excited because you were getting ice cream. Or he never kept his word and didn't mean much to you. God's word is his authority. And even then when you were a kid, when your daddy said, we're going to get ice cream, and if you didn't go soon enough, what did you do? Daddy, you said, we're going to go get ice cream. What you've got to learn to do is, is learn how to take the word. Say, Father, because he, he said that, he said, remind me. Bring me into remembrance. Not because he forgets, but because it needs to come out of your mouth. Bring me into remembrance. Father, you said, by your stripes... I was healed. Now, Lord, I can give you about another dozen more scriptures to go with that one. But you said it. Now, if it doesn't happen, you're a liar. Whoa. He's not a liar. So, God, I know you're not a liar. So, I know that's true. I know that I know I know that that's true. I don't understand it. I can't see how it could happen. But you know what? I don't have to. Your logos is all I need. 
It's what it says. I speak the word only. You will do what you have promised me you would do. Well, what does it say? The Bible says you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. The Bible says thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Okay, <laughs> listen to me. Listen to me, Father. You said I would always triumph. This thing doesn't look like I can triumph, but I don't care what it looks like. You said I would triumph. Devil, I want you to listen to me for a moment. I said listen to me in Jesus' name. I will triumph because that's what the Word says. Now you can go about your business. The Bible promises us that we win, that we triumph, that we have victory in Jesus Christ. The Bible says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what the Bible said. The Bible says that sin, and did you know this? It says sin shall not have dominion over you. What is that sin that the devil keeps bringing at you? It will not have dominion over you if you understand the word of God is the secret of power. There's authority in the word. The devil, you've been meditating in that verse of scripture, sin shall have dominion over me. Oh, I know that. It will not have dominion over me. I've looked up the words. I know what it says. It won't have dominion over me. And the devil comes and says, how about this? No, no, no. What yet? No, uh, no, 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 no. And you got the word. That's the only way it's going to happen is you decide you're going to have what the word says. You've got to hold fast the confession of your faith. It may take you longer than 10 minutes, but by him you've been made worthy to receive every promise in the book. By him, you have been made free to become all that you're supposed to be. By him, the curse is reversed, and you are now the blessed of God. But you've got to have the word. There's authority in the word of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, today I thank you for the word. I thank you, Lord God, that you said what you meant, and you meant what you said, and there is no doubt in my mind that you will do exactly what you promised us. Father, today, I pray for those in this room who've heard my voice. I pray, God, that revelation knowledge has come to them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, my prayer today is for revelation. Not just so that we could leave here pumped up, but that we could leave here making a decision about your word. Lord, that we're going to say to you today, I choose to be in the word. I choose to allow the Word of God to do in me what it's supposed to do. I choose that today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for these people in this room. Lord, I know that many are going through different trials, there are different tests that are going on, different things that are happening. But today, we say we will have the Word of God. We say whatever you said we will have. Speak the word only. I know you're saying I will, and all we have to do is say what you said. I believe that for these. In Jesus.